Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today we'll be reading from chapter 7 of my new book, Courage, How to Make This Life Count. The title of the chapter is Courage in Marriage. But before we get into the program, I'd like to let you know about a mission planting happening in the summer of 2021. We're planting a church in Flagstaff, Arizona. Pam and I are looking for people interested in leading that team as well as joining that team as members. If you're interested, please contact me. You can go to our website, tucsonchurchofchrist.org, or you can email me at rob at tucsonchurchofchrist.org. Let's go ahead and get into the chapter, Courage and Marriage. My parents were married for over 50 years. They had six kids spread over 21 years. I had the benefit as the youngest to learn from my five older brothers and sisters. I witnessed the five of them go through 11 divorces. I saw brothers and sisters-in-law appear and disappear. By the time I got into college, I knew I wanted a happy marriage free from the fear of divorce. However, when I stood back and looked at my dating relationships up until that time, I didn't have much confidence going forward. These relationships lack purity, faithfulness, and staying power. They often started strong and fizzled out quickly. One of the big problems was the level of my selfishness. My character wasn't strong or sacrificial enough to sustain a healthy relationship. The combination of my siblings' failure in marriage and my shortcomings sparked a spiritual search. I realized I had a faulty spiritual foundation. I wanted to be a better man. God must have sensed that desire to change because he placed a sincere Christian next door to me in my college dorm. He invited me to study the Bible with him, and I repented and got baptized shortly after that. We start so confident of success in marriage. As a young Christian, I had high hopes for marriage. I would hear leaders talk about how there are no divorces among disciples. Over time, however, I witnessed the gradual erosion of that claim. I was shocked the first time I heard about a Christian getting divorced. Then it became more frequent. Now it's commonplace. I just heard that a couple my, friend, my, a couple my wife and I have known for years are getting divorced. We received a text saying that the marriage was irreparable. At one time, I might have been shocked. Now I simply shrug and add one more sad story to the list of names. In my work as a minister, I see and hear about many marriages that are struggling. I find it perplexing and paradoxical that disciples of the most loving person in the world can't seem to make their most important human relationship work. Unfortunately, it's one of the most common problems I see among mature Christians. The symptoms of a struggling marriage show themselves in the following way. The wife is typically starved emotionally. The husband is often addicted to work video games, or pornography. The friendship between the couple has become a functional or business relationship. Each partner relates to the other to coordinate the children's schedule or family activities. Husbands are often isolated, disconnected from genuine male friendships. They feel anxious in non-structured social settings. Husbands feel like they should be doing something productive. 
In more complicated situations, the husband's anger has his family on edge. They're afraid of his outbursts and so walk around the house on eggshells for fear of igniting his rage. Symptoms of dysfunctional marriages are so numerous, it's nearly impossible to delineate all of them. Regardless of your marriage's current condition, you can improve it. Paul's Courageous Transformation Paul's transformation from violence to love offers hope that your marriage can change as you courageously pursue character change. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 describes Saul or Paul in this way. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Years later, Paul reflected on his earlier version of himself in his first first letter to Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In spite of his violent and aggressive personality, Jesus chose to reveal himself to Paul. The grace, faith, and love poured out on him spurred him to write perhaps the greatest tributes to the power of love ever recorded. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 1 Corinthians 13.1 and following. Paul, the relentless overachiever, claims that no matter what you achieve, if you don't succeed in the arena of love, you are nothing. No matter how well we do at work, in sports, in our shadow mission, in our wealth accumulation, in our charity giving, if we don't learn to love, our lives have little meaning. Nowhere is this more apparent than in our marriages. Even if you have the largest house, the newest cars, the best retirement plan, the most elaborate vacations, and the most numerous Christmas presents, if your relationships aren't deep, peaceful, and growing, your life is nothing. Love is the standard by which the quality of our lives is and will be measured. So, how are you doing? How's your marriage? Are you experiencing the loving life that Paul lived and called others to imitate? I want to talk about two marriage killers that destroy love in marriage. Sloth and pride. Sloth. I was living large in the summer of 1983. I had just graduated. I would bought my first car. At a full-time job working at the fairgrounds, I was headed to college in the fall, 
and I was dating a teenage pageant winner. She was beautiful. She was amazing. We'd started dating a few months before I graduated high school, and it was a perfect situation. She was crazy about me, and I loved the attention. We dated through the hot summer months, and then she dumped me. She fell for a guy she met in her youth group. When I took the time to recap that summer fling, I realized that sloth killed that relationship. What is sloth? When the word sloth appears, two images come to mind. One picture is of a very slow animal with very long claws that look like they should be in the Guinness Book of World Records for longest fingernails. Another image is that of a person who's way overweight, lazy, and surrounded on his favorite TV viewing viewing sofa by half-eaten potato chip bags. Neither of these images accurately describes what is meant by sloth. Sloth is not mere laziness. It is laziness in love. It's a reluctance or unwillingness to do the daily, boring, and repetitive hard work of maintaining loving relationships. That can be a relationship with God, your husband or wife, or your children. Unlike sins of commission, like adultery, immorality, greed, or lying, sloth is a sin of omission. That's why the sin of sloth is so prevalent and yet difficult to define. It can be seen in your marriage when you don't take the time to have regular conversations, pray together, have family devotions, plan out your schedule together, listen to your partner, make an effort to apologize or repair relationship damage. It gets even trickier to spot in a household filled with high achievers. A person who's hardworking, active, and always busy with some project can be a super sloth. How? Often, busy people conceal their lack of interest and effort in their relationships by Herculean effort poured into their careers. The top-level executive who divorces his wife is often hiding sloth in his marriage. He worked hard at work, but neglected to nurture his relationship with his wife. My beauty queen girlfriend dumped me at the end of the summer because I was working crazy hours to save for my first car. I worked up to 24 hours straight to earn money to pay for my 1965 Volkswagen. I was too tired and busy to take her out and treat her special. I liked the girl, but I loved the car and my slothful laziness and neglect over that summer killed, killed the relationship. Peter offers a solution for the sin of sloth in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5-7. through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. It takes courage to change the trajectory of a bad marriage. It takes making every effort to grow in your love. Not loving feelings, but the often overlooked behaviors that foster a loving environment in your marriage. Making time for your spouse, going out for dinner or other dates, holding each other, kissing and touching, praying together. Marriage killer number two, pride. She won't change. This is the mantra of a man I was trying to help in the area of marriage. No matter how many times I tried to offer solutions or paths to improve his marriage, he would nearly shout this well-worn statement. He'd throw in a few other claims like, I've tried, and I've gone to counseling, 
Rather than looking for areas he could change, he was more interested in more profoundly entrenching himself in his smug and comfortable fortress of marital misery. If you're waiting for your spouse to change, I guarantee your marriage will not improve. What do you need to change? What are you doing that's damaging the relationship? What sin do you see in your life that's poisoning this most valuable connection? Putting aside the pride and stubbornness and accepting responsibility is the first step in transforming your marriage. Identify the time stealers. Dr. John Goddard, in his excellent book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, advises couples to commit to the five magic hours of marriage building. It's a simple weekly system of habits that build love in a marriage. A combination of a weekly date, a 20-minute discussion daily, a six-second kiss daily, and other practices promote a loving home environment. Before one can even tackle those, it's essential to figure out where your time is currently going. If your spouse is starving for time and attention, it's usually because you're devoting your limited time and attention to something else. What is it? Media consumption? Video games? Sporting events? Book clubs? Identify where your time is going. Make a stop doing list. One of the best ways to identify time stealers and open up more time for love is to create a stop doing list. I mentioned this before. Our time to build love gets squeezed by two careers, kids' schedules, commuting, and shuttling family members and media intake. If you want to prioritize your marriage, you'll have to pare down your out-of-control schedule. Pull out a yellow pad or a sheet of lined paper. Number the left, number the left margin from 1 to 20. At the top of the page, write out this question. What will I need to stop or reduce to improve my marriage? You'll probably come up with a few obvious things right away, but keep working at it until you can get 20 ideas. What you'll realize by experimenting with this is that many current habits are choking out your marriage, and you don't even know you're doing them. This exercise will take what's been unconscious and unseen and bring it into the light of conscious awareness. It will take guts to make the change. But if you want love to define your life, you will have to weed out the time wasters that are choking your love life. Gut check. Where do you see the sin of sloth in your marriage or romantic relationship? What can you start doing today to better maintain your love? I want to thank you for listening to Chapter 7 from my latest book, Courage, how to make this life count. If you enjoyed this book, you can buy it on Amazon. Just type in Rob Skinner and you'll find it for sale along with my first book. And I want to just thank you so much for continuing to listen to my podcast. I really appreciate your listening support. I'd like to ask a favor. Please let your friends and family know about this podcast. You can also email me with feedback or questions. Please subscribe to the program. I'd love to hear from you, rob at tucsonchurchofchrist.org. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.